If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open to Matthew chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13. That's page 818 in the Pew Bible. If you don't have one of your own, you're welcome to take that Bible home. We'd love for you to have a copy of God's Word. Some of you might remember back in May, I had the opportunity to preach, and uh, we took Matthew chapter 13, verse 1 through 23, which is the parable of the soils, the four soils. And we're going to continue on in Matthew this morning with Matthew chapter 13, verse 24. Our text is going to go all the way through 43, but for the sake of time, we're only going to read to verse 35 to open, and then we will continue on later. All right, beginning in verse 24. This is Jesus speaking. He put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared also. And the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? He said to them, An enemy has done this. So the servant said to him, Then do you want us to go and gather them? But he said, No, lest in gathering the weeds you root up the wheat along with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at harvest time I will tell the reapers, Gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned. But gather the wheat into my barn. He put another parable before them saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of the seeds, but when it is grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and make nest in its branches. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leavened. All these things Jesus said to the crowds in parables. Indeed, he said nothing to them without a parable. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter what has been hidden since the foundation of the world. Let's pray together. Father, I pray that you will use this time to show us and reveal to us the truth about your kingdom. And Lord, I pray that you would show us how to rightly live in your kingdom. So use this time for your glory and your honor. In Jesus' name, amen. Expectations. I want you to think a moment for, for with me what an expectation is. A, a strong belief of how something will be or how something will turn out. So a strong belief in how something should be or how something should turn out. Think about it. We set expectations for nearly everything in our lives, don't we? You have expectations for your finances. You have expectations for your job. You have expectations for your car. You have expectations in relationships. Perhaps you've set expectations for your children or for your spouse. Or we even set expectations for complete and total strangers, don't we? I mean, we expect as we're driving down the road, when we come to a green light, we're expecting that everyone else on the other side coming the other direction is going to stop because they have a red light, right? We, we set expectations everywhere. 
in this life. In fact, many of you came to church this morning with some expectations, right? Perhaps you were expecting Pastor Justin to be preaching, and I have exploded that expectation this morning already. I apologize. On a positive note, it'll be less than 60 minutes, right? Okay? So perhaps the expectation will change. I don't know. But we set expectations everywhere. And oftentimes people don't know what your expectations are. I'm going to get in trouble on that one. He's going to hear this later. (laughs) Service review is coming. But I want you to think about these expectations in your heart and life. Oftentimes our expectations determine how we respond or how we think about things. I mean, you, you get a check in the mail, an unexpected rebate, no matter how little or how small. It's exciting. You feel like you've been blessed. Yeah, I, I, I wasn't expecting that. I got some money I wasn't expecting. That's exciting. On the inverse, you get a bill in the mail that you were expecting your insurance company to pay, and now it's at your doorstep. Different emotion, different response. Or you go on vacation here in Florida for four days or ten days, and you come home, and you know you're going to come home to grass that's knee-deep, right? And you pull in to see your, your lawn nicely manicured and mowed. Your neighbor has mowed your lawn for you. An unexpected, small act of kindness that brings joy, right? And, and some peace. You don't have to pull in from vacation, get out your lawn equipment, and mow your grass. And we could go on with all of our expectations. But this morning, I want you to think about what your expectations are that you've set on God. On His rule. On His reign in your heart and life. Have you ever just looked around and wondered, God, what are you doing? Are you even at work? Are you working in this? Do you know? Do you see what's happening to me? To my life? To my kids? To my family? To my health? And we we question how God is working. In our text today, Jesus is transitioning his teaching style to parables. And we know that a parable simply means to, to lay alongside of something. And so what Jesus would do is he would use these earthly stories that everyone in his audience could quickly identify with and understand what's taking place in these stories. And he would lay alongside these stories some spiritual truth. And sometimes that spiritual truth was not easily understood. And oftentimes, and sometimes as we'll see in some of these parables, they didn't need explanation. The disciples and the Jesus followers were able to attach the spiritual truth of whatever subject Jesus was talking about to these parables. Now, Matthew doesn't want us to miss the main subject of what we're talking about. Perhaps you've already picked up on it in our songs. Rejoice, the Lord is king. Behold our God seated on his throne, right? Look at verse 24. It says, he put another parable before them saying, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed. Verse 31, the kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed. Verse 33, the kingdom of heaven is like leaven. So what we have and what we're learning today is Jesus wants to make the kingdom of heaven evident to his disciples, to his hearers. He wants them to understand what the kingdom of heaven is like, what it looks like, what to expect 
And what the disciples are going to learn, and what we're going to learn is that the kingdom of heaven is going to be evident to everyone in a very powerful and climactic way one day. But right now, it's not always what we expect. Right now, the kingdom of heaven is not always what we expect. So to see how Jesus wants the disciples to understand what the kingdom of heaven is like, we're just going to walk through these stories these parables, all three of them, the way Matthew has laid them out for us. And then after we look at these stories, we're going to see their significance. So in verse 24, all the way through verse 33, we have the stories. And then in verses 36 to 43, we see the significance. So let's begin with Jesus's first parable, the parable of the weeds. We've already read it. And we need to understand what Jesus is trying to teach the disciples through this parable. And what we have is we have a man that goes out into his field, and he sows good seed. He goes, good seed in his field, and after a long, hard day of work, him and all of his servants go to bed. And while they're sleeping, an enemy comes. This enemy of this landowner comes, and he spreads weeds among the wheat. Okay, so we have good seed sown, and now we have weed sown. They're all in seed form, and the owner of the land would not have known that this happened or the servants. And apparently, months have gone by when the servants go out, and they recognize that the field is full of weeds. Now, this doesn't mean the workers have been lazy. It's not like they planted the seeds and walked away. It would have been their responsibility to tend the fields, to go through and pull the weeds. But somehow, these workers, while they're working the field and pulling the weeds, missed these weeds. And and it's been months, and they've grown up. The reason why they haven't been able to identify these weeds is that historians and theologians have identified these weeds in this specific parable as darnel. Darnel was a weed that grew exactly like wheat. From its seed form till it sprouted throughout its growth process, it looked identical to wheat. So the workers would have been going through the field pulling all these weeds, but according to them, they couldn't tell the difference between the darnel and the wheat, and they had no clue the darnel was there. So they weren't pulling it. They weren't touching it. It looked like wheat. And you couldn't tell what it was until it began to bear fruit. The, the darnel heads would have been slightly gray in color and much smaller than the wheat, which would have been larger and golden in color. And so we have a field now that these servants look at and say, we're in trouble. We have all this wheat with fruit on it, with wheat on it. We have all these weeds with their poisonous seeds on it. What are we going to do? So so they rush to the master. Did you not sow good seed in your field? How does, how does this field full of weeds? Now, obviously, the master would have never sown these weeds in the field, right? They're not asking him that. But they're so confused as to how this could have happened. Now, the master, having more insight and more experience, no doubt, tells his workers, an enemy has come. An enemy has done this in the night. Now, while this wasn't completely normal in this day and time, that someone would sneak into someone's field and spread weeds uh, in, the, in the field because this was just a terrible form of evil. This is how they, they made their lifestyle. This is how they lived. This would have destroyed a, could have destroyed a farmer because these weeds would 
be detrimental and poisonous to the wheat, right? But we know that the audience, Matthew's hearers here, the disciples would have known and identified what Jesus was saying because even the Romans had a law against doing this. They had a law against spreading weeds in your neighbor's field. So it was common enough that a law was had, uh, to, had to be put in place to keep this from happening. And the servants, they just, they want an answer. They want to fix this problem. Maybe you're like that. I, just want, I can get this problem fixed. So they go to the master and say, well, hey, do you want us to go? This would have been a lot of work. Do you want us to go and pull all the weeds out of the field? And the master says, surprisingly, no. Let them grow. Let the weeds grow. Let the wheat grow. And here's what we're going to do. At the very end, we're going we're gonna to harvest the field. I'm going to send reapers out. That's a different group of people. I'm going to send reapers out. And they're going to they're reap everything. The weeds, the wheat. And we'll bundle all the weeds up and we'll burn them in the fire. And we'll bundle all the wheat up and we'll keep it. And we'll put it in my barn. And the story, number one, ends there. Now, Matthew's hearers perhaps were, were waiting for an explanation. Remember, they would have already had the parable of the soils that was ahead of this one, in which Jesus shares the parable of the soils and then provides an explanation for it. But Jesus doesn't do that. He just continues on. Can you imagine what they would have been thinking? Wait a second. Okay, we've had the parable of soils where we have seeds and we have dirt, and the dirt represents the heart of man, and the seed is the message of Jesus. Now we have a similar parable, and they're wondering, okay, we have all the seed. The seed can't be the message of Jesus because some of the seed was weed and some of the seed was wheat, and the soil, there's not much talk about the soil. There's no talk about the soil here. They're just completely confused at this point. Who's the sower? Who's the enemy? Why would you let them grow? One's poisonous, one's good. Who are the reapers? But Jesus leaves this story completely unclear and doesn't resolve it. So we're not going to either. Let's go on to the mustard seed. Jesus continues to paint a picture. Remember, Jesus is painting a picture for his, his hearers and for us today of what the kingdom of heaven is like. He wants them to know something about the kingdom. But notice the the picture that Jesus is painting is very unclear. We're not helped very much by the parable of the wheat and the weeds. And Jesus continues on painting this picture with a mustard seed. The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. So now we have one seed. And Jesus says this one seed is the smallest of all seeds. When it's grown... It's large enough for birds to nest in its branches. Now, skeptics today love to use this verse to disprove Jesus and the historicity of the Bible and say, okay, that's easy. We know that the mustard seed is not the smallest of all seeds. There are plenty of seeds out there that are smaller than the mustard seed. But remember that Jesus is telling us a parable, and he's already compared this, this field that it says in the text is actually the word garden. All right, so we've gone from a field to a garden. The, the garden is the entire world, right? Um, the field was the entire world. Now we have this garden, and the kingdom of heaven is like this 
mustard seed. And the mustard seed, though it was not the smallest seed ever, would have been the smallest seed that anyone in the first century would have planted in their garden. Maybe these are gardens that are full of vegetables and herbs. And the mustard seed is about half the size of a sesame seed that you see on your hamburger bun at McDonald's. And that is the size of the seed that this one farmer plants, and it grows big enough to be a tree. In fact, throughout history, other historians use the mustard seed as a proverbial word for smallness. So there's a lot of, of teachings throughout history that are going to always go back to the idea of faith the size of a mustard seed. And yet, though it's the smallest seed, the farmer says that it's going to grow to the largest plant in all of the garden. Now, remember, it's not that big. This is an urban vegetable garden. A, a mustard tree would have grown somewhere between 8 to 12 feet in this time. Some a little bit larger, but they're not, it's just not that big of a tree. It's not that impressive. Now, now put yourself in the hearers of Jesus. Jesus is like, I'm going to tell you something that you don't know about the kingdom. My kingdom, not just any kingdom, the kingdom of God. Let me tell you what the kingdom of God is like. It's like a mustard tree that grows to 12 feet. It's not that impressive. Like, oh, really, Jesus? Someone needs to help Jesus learn how to tell parables, right? Because if you want to impress people about the kingdom of God, if, if you want your kingdom to sound great, you're not going to use a mustard tree. Maybe they were thinking of the cedars of Lebanon, right? We, we see those referenced throughout Scripture. In fact, they're referenced over a hundred times in Scripture. A cedar in Lebanon is still today known for its power. It's known for its size it symbolizes greatness and resilience. King Solomon, he, he had cedars of Lebanon cut down for his temple because he wanted it to be built from this tree. They grow to over 100 feet tall. Their branches spread out to over 80 feet wide. This is an impressive tree. In fact, God uses it to reference his strength. In Psalm 29 verse 5, it says, The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. Yes, the Lord breaks in pieces the cedars of Lebanon. Well, what's he doing? He's saying, you think this tree's big? You think this tree's powerful? I break them in two like twigs. This is what the disciples wanted so badly for the kingdom of heaven to be like. Big, powerful. Make a statement. Everyone would be impressed with it. And yet Jesus says, my kingdom is like a mustard seed. That when you plant this one seed, it'll grow. It'll be the largest of all the garden bushes, 8 to 12 feet. And we come to the end of this parable, and Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven is like leaven. Story number three. Rather than Jesus giving examples um, of his kingdom getting better and bigger and stronger, Jesus has started out in the field with lots of seed. And he's narrowed the kingdom of heaven from this field with lots of seeds down to a garden and to a, a mustard seed. And then we go from the garden and now we're in the kitchen of a home with a woman making bread. Now, this one could possibly be the most difficult for us to understand. 
in our gluten-free, crazy world today. All right? So I realize that represented in this building right now, many of you might not even have a loaf of bread in your home. But for the first century here, bread was essential to life. There were people that only lived off of bread. That's the only thing they ate all day. Bread was everywhere. They would have very quickly identified what was taking place. And and what happens in these homes is when we make bread today, which I know is rare, uh, when we first got married, my wife made bread all the time. When we were up in Virginia, there there were women there that had big barrels of wheat in their kitchens, and they would actually pull it out and grind it. Yeah, this was just 10 years ago. Uh, and, and they were our age, and they just thought it was the greatest thing. Like, right, we didn't go that extreme, right? Uh, but people do this today still. But even when in the bread-making process today, even if you grind your own wheat and you prepare it, when it comes time to want that, that, that flour to rise, you go to your cabinet, you pull out this jar of yeast, you sprinkle some in there, right? You fold it in, you make your dough, you knead it, you set it out to rise, and then you bake it. Back then... What they would do is they'd, they'd make their dough, and after it was risen, they would take a small piece of dough from that. that had already been leavened. And they called this leaven. It's different from yeast. It was a piece of dough that was already risen, and they would save it back. They would save it back for the next time that they made bread. In fact, it was traditional for, and customary for a mother to give her daughter a piece of her leaven. So that when she started her house, she could begin making bread right away. And Jesus says, this is what his kingdom is like. A piece of leaven. That when you stick it into flour, it it spreads and affects all the flour and it's all leavened. It all becomes leavened because of this one small piece. And, And Jesus says that she places this in three measures of flour which is a lot of flour. It's the same amount of flour that we saw in Genesis chapter 18 with Sarah just a few weeks ago. But really the amount or even the size doesn't matter. That's not the point that Jesus is trying to make with this parable. So we come like Matthew's readers to this point and we have to scratch our head for a moment and ask, if Jesus is trying to make the kingdom of heaven evident to his hearers. How has he just accomplished this? How is any of this like God's heavenly kingdom? But before Jesus gives significance, we see in verse 34 a a brief explanation of why he shares these three parables. He says, all of these things Jesus said to the crowds in parables, indeed he said nothing to them without a parable. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter what has been hidden since the foundation of the world. We know that Jesus uses parables first as a fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecies. They're scattered throughout. This prophecy is from Psalm 78, which is what we read in Scripture reading this morning from Charlie. And Another reason why Jesus uses parables is to draw out, and we learned this at the beginning of Matthew 13, to draw out those who are truly followers of him, those who desire to be a follower of Jesus. So all the crowds that were listening, Jesus is speaking these parables to a crowd, all the crowds that are listening, they hear these odd, strange stories. The kingdom of heaven is like 
weeds and wheat. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven. And they say, that's a weird kingdom. I don't get it. And so they leave. I mean, they're attracted to Jesus. They want to see Jesus work miracles. They want to see Jesus heal them. But they hear what his kingdom is like, and they leave. They scatter. And only a few come, which we're going to see in a moment in verse 36. His disciples come to ask for a meeting. But before we continue on, we have to understand, I keep using this phrase, kingdom of heaven, kingdom of heaven, kingdom of heaven. What does the Bible mean when we talk about the kingdom of heaven? This is what he's saying in Psalm 78 when, he's, when he says, I will utter what has been hidden since the foundation of the world. What has been hidden is this phase of the kingdom of heaven. That's what's been hidden throughout the entire Old Testament. Jesus, God, throughout the whole Old Testament, talked about the kingdom of God. But they always talked about it in an eschatological perspective or an end times millennial kingdom perspective. So when Jesus comes back the second time, this is what he is going to do, right? But this, this section of the kingdom was left a mystery. Now, it's important that we understand that every phase of human history marks some facet of God's rule, right? God set up a, God mediated his rule on earth through Adam initially, He mediated his rule on earth through Adam. He commanded Adam to very specific things on this earth. Then from Adam, he moved to the patriarchs, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And then from the patriarchs, he moved to the the monarchs, to the kings. And, And they mediated his rule on this earth. And then from the monarchs, he moved to the priest and the prophets, right? And then we get to the New Testament, and finally Jesus is here. I mean, this is what we've been waiting for. This is what everyone's been waiting for, is for for God himself to come to this earth and establish his rule and his reign. And it is in this moment, in this period of time, from the rejection of Christ to his second return, the Bible recognizes and calls a mystery. It was kept hidden throughout the Old Testament. Today, we would reference this as the already, not yet phase of the kingdom. Jesus' kingdom is already here. When he showed up, when he stepped out, and he died on that cross, and he conquered death, and he conquered sin, he established his kingdom and his rule on this earth. But there's there's a large part of God's kingdom, the kingdom of heaven, that is yet to have been accomplished. And the disciples are confused because they're expecting this eschatological end times type of kingdom the, the tree, the cedars of Lebanon type of kingdom. They, they were expecting Jesus to come and set up his reign. And we know that's true because just back, I mean, we could go through the prophets and look at all the eschatological versions of the kingdom of what Jesus is going to do and how he's going to behave. But even John the Baptist, in Matthew chapter 3, when he's preaching, Jesus is coming, Jesus is coming. He's like, hey, Jesus is coming. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, right? In Matthew 3, 2. Even in that same chapter, in Matthew chapter 3, verse 12, he says this. He's talking about Jesus. When he comes, his winnowing fork is in his hands. He will clear his thrashing floor. He will gather the wheat into the barn, but the chaff will be burned with unquenchable fire. Does it sound familiar, doesn't it? It sounds familiar to our parable this morning. 
This is what they were expecting. See, the disciples wanted Jesus to show up and wipe out everyone that would rebel against him. Destroy the rebels. Set up your kingdom. Make all the wrongs right. Set up a kingdom that everyone wants to be a part of and follow and bow down to your dominant display of power. They wanted to be a part of that. And yet, Jesus comes to this earth in very seemingly small and insignificant ways, does he not? He, he humbles himself to be born into a manger. And, and he established his, his rule and reign by being tempted by Satan in the garden. And, and the ministry where he's, he's gathering these rather odd, unimpressive disciples. The least of people that, that people are expecting Jesus to gather to be his followers. He's working miracles. Crowds are showing up. But as the crowds show up, they, they leave in disappointment. They, they don't stick, stick around. The disciples have been there to watch the strong opposition of the Pharisees against Jesus and trying to kill him and wanting and plotting to kill him, which they are going to succeed at. And the disciples are following Jesus and they want this kingdom. And Jesus says, I'm trying to explain to you that's not what the kingdom of heaven right now is like. This is what it's like. The kingdom of heaven is like weeds and wheat. It's small and insignificant, like a mustard seed. No one would expect that to be the kingdom of of God. It's small, like a piece of leaven. It's, It's hidden inside the world that no one can see. But the kingdom of heaven is going to spread, and it's going to grow, and it's going to leaven the whole lump. This is what the kingdom of heaven is like which moves us into the significance of these stories in verse 36 and following. Then he left the crowds, and he went to the house, and the disciples came to him saying, Explain to us the parable of the weeds. He answered, The one who sows the good seed is the Son of Man. That's Jesus. The wheat, the field, is the world. It's not the church, it's the world. The good seed is the sons of the kingdom. Those are Christians. The weeds are the sons of the evil one. Those are non-Christians, unbelievers. The enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age. That's the eschatological coming of the kingdom. And the reapers are angels. Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so will it be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send his angels. They will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers. He will throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. He who has ears, let him hear. He who is able to hear this message, you better listen The crowds leave. Jesus goes to a house. And those that were left dumbfounded by these parables, but desire to follow Jesus, desire to know what he meant by these, they follow him. And they inquire of him. It's interesting here that the only parable that the disciples ask for Jesus to explain is the parable of the weeds. Obviously, it's a much more complex parable 
Jesus is attaching each of the, the, the characters in the story to very specific people. Perhaps the disciples just recognized the small, seemingly insignificant, non-impressiveness of the kingdom of heaven through the mustard seed and the leaven. But this one, Jesus gives clear explanation to help the disciples understand what the kingdom of heaven is like now. And and while they wanted the rebels to, to be destroyed, God says, they're growing with you. They're alive with us. And so there are a few, there's seven, seven clear things straight from the text that Jesus wants the disciples to see and understand from this parable. Number one, both Jesus and Satan are at work in the kingdom today. Both, king, both Jesus and Satan are at work today. This was not clear to the disciples. They wanted God to have sovereign control over the earth, and yet, and he doesn't explain it, he's allowing Satan to work. Number two, there are both believers and unbelievers growing together. They wanted the unbelievers wiped off the face of the earth. Well, of course, they were a part of the believers, right? They wanted everyone else that disrespected their, their king, their savior. They wanted him gone, wiped out, judged. Number three, Jesus, the farmer, has a plan. He has a plan for the weeds and for the wheat, which he's going to reveal in a moment. Jesus is in control, and he is fulfilling his work and his plan. This is something the disciples failed to understand. This is something that we often fail to understand. We look around and we just say, life isn't what I expected. We must be reminded by Isaiah 55, verse 8 and 9, when we think his thoughts are not our thoughts, neither are our ways his ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are God's ways higher than our ways in God's thoughts than our thoughts, right? The disciples are confused about the kingdom, and Jesus is trying to make it evident to them. Number four, this is not a time of judgment. The right now time of the kingdom is not the time for judgment. Judgment's being withheld. We see that in the parable of the weeds, but I'm going I'm to infuse now some teaching from the parable of the mustard seed and the leaven, and I would say now is the time for evangelism and growth, Now is the time to be spreading the message of the kingdom, like the leaven, and for the growth of the kingdom from a small mustard seed into a tree. Jesus is growing his kingdom. Number five, judgment is coming. If you are here today and you identify with a weed, you know you are not a part of God's kingdom. Listen very clearly as Jesus lays out so clearly for us this morning. Judgment is coming coming. And, and it's interesting in this parable in verse 41, it's not just to the lawbreakers. Of course, judgment's coming to the lawbreakers, those rebellious ones. But it's also coming to all those who, who simply cause others to stumble. It's coming to all those who are keeping people from trusting and believing in Jesus through their actions and through their lives. Judgment is coming. And then the most sobering of all, number six, he describes judgment in eternal hell. And he says that it will be a fiery furnace. Fire, a fiery furnace is used throughout the entire Bible to describe what hell 
will be like. Mark 9 tells us that it's going to be an unquenchable fire. It's eternal fire. Friends, we are in the kingdom of God right now. He is ruling. He is reigning. And he is not judging the weeds yet. There is time. But a day will come, a day that we do not know when, the Bible does not tell us, that Jesus will come to finalize his rule and his reign and his game. And he will wipe out all the evil off the place of this earth. And all those that are not in Christ when Jesus comes will be placed in the eternal lake of fire. And the people that go there, their response will be weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth because the pain is so terrible and so bad. Don't let our world's version of hell make you think that it's going to be okay. Where, okay, all those that go to heaven, they get to party the way Christians party. They're going to have a good time with Jesus, right? That's the world's version of heaven. And then all those that go to hell, we're going to party the way we want to party. We're going to be together, all of us bad people, and we're going to have a good time. That's the way the world views hell. And he paints a very different picture. Jesus himself Judgment is coming. Number seven, there's also a reality for the believers. At the end of this age, remember, friends, at the end of this age, then, not now, the righteous will shine like the sun. This is standing in contrast to the to hidden and seeming insignificant kingdom that is now with the leaven and the mustard seed. We will shine brightly as the sun. We will be in heaven with our Father for all of eternity. So in closing, let me ask, what are your expectations of God's kingdom now? What are you, how are you expecting God to work? Are you expecting your life to be shaped and looked, look differently than what it actually is? In what ways is your life not the way you expected it to be? I've talked a lot about the unbeliever. And I want to make one final plea to you. If you recognize by your fruit, we even see that in the first. The darnel was not identified on anything other than its fruit. The second the fruit was sprouted, they could see the difference. Wheat and weeds, wheat and weeds, all by their actions, all by what they did, how they spoke, how they lived. If your life proves that you are an unbeliever, not in Christ, I would beg you this morning to turn from your sins, to place your faith and trust in Christ alone, who came and gave his life to die the death that you and I deserved to pay the penalty of our sin, to satisfy God's wrath in heaven, to satisfy God's judgment that will come. And all those who repent and place their faith and trust in Jesus will be saved. They, at the end of the time, will be gathered with the wheat and placed in God's heavenly storehouse for all of eternity and shine like the sun. If you don't know what that looks like or how to do that, please talk to one of us this morning. I'll be in the lobby at the conclusion of the service. Pastor Phil will be up here. Talk to any of the members that you identify here. We would love to be able to talk to you about that. But Christian, there's a lot of ways we can apply this to our hearts. 
remember that Christ is the judge of salvation. God has not left us here to be his instruments of judgment on the world. We're never called to be the judge. We're only called to extend God's grace and compassion and love towards others. Continue extending grace to our world. But not just to our world. Continue to extend grace and compassion and love to anyone that you see, whether they claim to be weeds or wheat or anything. Extend that great compassion and love to them, especially when their fruit is that of a weed and they claim to be a wheat. Don't miss the seemingly small and insignificant moments that God gives you to display his kingdom, to live out his kingdom, and be a part of his kingdom. Parents, don't wait for some big program or awesome opportunity to teach and preach the gospel to your children as if if you can't do it for an hour, there's no family devotions. Instead, display God's kingdom in every way. Display God's kingdom in how you love your spouse. Display God's kingdom in, in the way you show hospitality in your home the way you love others through faithful reading of God's word and prayer together by injecting the greatness and the grace and the love of our Savior in everyday conversation. By being faithful to church. These seem small and insignificant. These are things that we're faced with every single day, but it's these small and insignificant moments that that God wants to use to shape and build and grow his kingdom. He's not looking for big and flashy. He's not looking for great large programs. You don't need a program to disciple anyone. You don't need a program to encourage anyone. Just be faithful. Use these small moments that God gives you every day. And finally, I would encourage us not to lose hope. Don't lose hope when spiritual growth in others seems so slow. God is at work. He is in control. He is growing his kingdom. Remain faithful. May we, as we go out this week, recognize that though we are surrounded by many weeds, we have a Christ that is sovereign and control. And though at times it's difficult to see his kingdom growing and spreading and working, we can take courage. We can be patient. We can be faithful. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we praise you and we thank you for your kingdom. Lord, we confess that oftentimes we don't see it the way it really is. Lord, we desire big and flashy and shiny and impressive. But you have not chosen to work that way. We know that your kingdom will be evident one day to everyone at the end of this age. But for now, you have called us to be faithful. To have faith and trust in how you are bringing about the completion of your kingdom. So may we be faithful followers of you this morning and this week. And may we work as laborers in your fields and your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen.